You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Lord, please Don't break my heart Cause it can get hard I'm praying like, Lord, please I run from the dark, no gas in this car to take me away oh, Fighting all these demons, let me go Soon as I escape, I feel alone Last year got me on the edge, I'm so, I'm so overread I just need to break it down and flip it This is Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio on, on, and on every available place to podcast except, except for Spotify in all the world. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with Dr. Esteban Emeritus. Marconi. Who has been away. You saw America on assignment, did you not? Yes. Beautiful. Five national parks I went to. And then I ended, ended in, believe it or not, Las Vegas. So it went from the natural beauty to the entire man-made beauty of Las Vegas. <laughs> there we go. Vegas. Yeah. And whatever happens there, happens there. That's right. It did. We're not, not allowed to ask you. We do have a guest who's going to be with us today, who is probably in Las Vegas. Brad Rosen, an agent with APA. Brad shall join us momentarily. We want to remind all of you to make sure you're following us on the music at MusicBiz101WP. Listening to all of our podcasts, SoundCloud, Google, iTunes, wherever you podcast. Should we be giving thanks? I hope so. Let us do so. Give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bernoink, and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, Kiss, Zach Brown, Tima Likes Music. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. We want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They. A wealth manager at the Four F O U R Four Front Group. Christine has helped professionals all around the world, and probably a few amateurs as well. Help them all manage their investments, plan out for the retirement. When somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to your personal financial future, think about the Forefront Group and go to Christine at Forefront.com and leave any oi off for saving. <laughs> we also remind people that managing your band's seventh edition. Is it yes. all? Where can they get it, Dr. Stavon? 
in our list of podcasts, there is an entire review of the book by the authors. That's right. Our last podcast, we were interviewed by the one and only Steve Corbin of WIA, and he spoke yes. completely about the book. And it was, I haven't listened back to it. We posted it. I haven't listened back to it. It's hard because ah. we are now going to welcome our good friend, Brad Rosen of APA. Dr. Esteban, take it away. Okay. So you're talking, Brad, to a former artist signed to APA. The very uh, end of my career, about, mm, I'm going to guess, 1972. Wow, that is, I definitely did not know that. That's pretty interesting. Who, who did you work with? Maybe they're still I around. I remember his name. It was an older gentleman who had been a legend in the business. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were with ICM for most of our uh, career. But at the very end, uh, we tried everything. So we left ICM and went over to APA. Oh, yes. excellent. Was was Jim Gosnell there at the time? Who's the head now or? No, I don't think so. Okay. okay. How old does he look? Um, in his 60s. So I'm not sure when he started. He's probably been there a while. Been. Yeah, probably wouldn't have been. Yeah. Probably was the guy right before him. Yeah. Anywho, let's get started with all these tours that are going on. And we know that everyone's going on tour. And of course, the leg legacy acts are doing better and better um, and these tours are being handled by usually Live Nation or uh, AEG, where does the agent fit in anymore? Um, well, we still are the main, I guess, connection between the artist and these companies. So without the agents, um, there will be a lot more work on the artist ends and they really, we are the, the middleman to kind of coordinate everything and kind of cater to the artist's needs and make sure these tours happen and are booked and go, go on without any issues, to the best of our abilities and really do help um, cater to the artist and try to coordinate as best we can. And hopefully all these shows uh, go out with the, uh, no issues in this COVID era, but obviously there are still many issues, but um, yeah, it's been an interesting time. So I think it was uh, from AGI, was it Dennis that did that interview? Dennis Arfo that left that center. Yeah. He did the interview where he was actually pretty honest saying there, there's a need for an agent, but there really isn't a need for an agent that you sort of have to now carve out because I, I believe, if I'm correcting me wrong, the Rolling Stones don't use an agent for their tour with everything. They let um, whoever's handling it, Live Nation or AEG, handle everything. And Dennis said, well, there are still some, of course, relationships that you have with an artist that can't be sort of severed just because an artist is going with one of the larger um, promoters. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's going to vary depending on the, the level of artists, obviously. Um, a lot of the younger acts, and they're not really going to know what, where to start. Um, like, they start booking these shows on their own. They'll play these little, tiny little clubs, and they'll build up as much as they can. But at some point, they're going to hit a wall, and they are going to need some outside assistance. And that's a, the biggest part of what the role of an agent in my mind is kind of artist development. Like 
start, starting a band when they're small and watching them grow, um, bring them to the next level. And a lot of times the artist on their own is not going to really have that capabilities to, and have those relationships to get into the proper venues. And they're just going to need the custom handholding and really someone to help steer them in the right direction to make sure their touring goes on properly and they continue to build their fan base and continue to kind of start their career off right. And so they can have a framework for their future. Yes. So um, why would I go with APA rather than um, CAA? Let's say. Um, Well, we're definitely a smaller agency. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to say where I don't know don't want to necessarily say we're more stable in a way, but you know, there's so much um, stuff going on with um, CAA right now um, with the um, mergers and everything, but you know, we're, we, everyone brings a little thing different, something different. We have, we're a multi-purpose company as many of the agencies are. So we can assist in the worlds of entertainment, TV, book deals, anything an artist really is interested in. Our company is a multifaceted agency. Music's only a small portion of what APA does and everyone kind of works together. And if an artist has a vision, we can help kind of bring it to life, uh, especially if they have something they want to do outside of music. That's really what we can help with. Um, But yeah, and and the music side though, we have our roster so varied. I know many of the companies are obviously the bigger agencies um but we do have artists from the older legacy acts you can say and like Smokey robinson and we have like brian wilson blondie and then we're really our indie rock and hip-hop uh we're really starting to break acts uh emerging acts in those worlds so yeah it's an exciting time i've uh, got a good team and I'm just gonna continue bringing on new acts and building them is the structure of aba apa like the old days where an an agent had a territory or is it to change now it's kind of like a hybrid model um yeah we've gone through a few different i've been there now about seven years almost already and we've had a few we've changed a few times it really depends on the act um and like not necessarily the genre, but I feel like uh, in our adult contemporary world, um, I think they, I don't work over there, but I'm pretty sure they use a little bit more territory system um, than I'm in more in the contemporary world. Um, but even, even so, I work with acts that I'm not representing in the Northeast. I do the territory stuff with them, but for the most part, it's very act um, specific. Um, most of it is not territory based right now but it is like a hybrid model. Everyone pitches in. Um, if you're know a territory better and you want to reach out to the, the agent for a certain act, you will probably help assist booking that territory. Mm-hmm. Um, in the old days, it used to be a sort of a, um, you learned if you were at the point of having an agency try to wine and dine with sorry, spam risk. You have the agent uh, agency wine and dine you that they would say, don't sign with an agency that only has one agent come out and see you. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the penetration doesn't go through all the, uh, in those days, all the territories. 
In yep. other words, you'll never work the West yep. if the guy hasn't come out to see you or the inner politics of um, the guy in the West is known as a prick and so yep. on and so forth. Do you, do, we, are you, do you have the ability to sign an, aid, uh, an act with just you seeing the act? Oh, yeah, we, d- we definitely have the ability. Um, but at the same time, we're all about bringing the team. Um, so anytime we have an act you may be interested in, we have meetings, we bring up who are in- if we have a hot act or any act someone's interested in, we'll bring it up in the meetings and saying, oh, I, I see this act. Is anyone else interested? I would love some help with it. Um, so it's usually not one person going after an act. Um, we'll bring in other people. I mean, we have the offices in New York, LA, Nashville, um, London. Mm-hmm. And so it's, we really, any way we can, we can assist bringing in people from all the, all the parts of the country, it can only benefit. And mm-hmm. yeah, where, when the act is, depending on where they're based, it'll also help a lot more if, the agents are spread out. It's easier to go go to the shows, cover. Uh, but we're usually sending multiple people out. Anytime there are shows, we'll try to get a team out to go see them. So yeah, doing it on your own, it can work, but it's not ideal. And it's always better to have a team around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever get into, I don't know this answer, to the, the acts, the agents, agencies have gotten into bidding war with an act. And if they mm-hmm. did, what would it be? Would there be an advance on a, the assignment or what kind of a bidding war would occur? I'm honestly, I have not been witness to a real like bidding war like that. I'm still a younger agent over there since I've been starting on the agent side. So maybe it goes on. I can't really speak of it though because I just don't really know, honestly. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, okay, bring us through your undergraduate, you personally, undergraduate, you were going to be an FBI agent? Hi, my, my whole, business? pretty much, not FBI. I didn't, in college, I didn't really know what at all I really wanted to do. So I majored in criminology, so it was interesting. And I loved everything about it. And I guess my ultimate goal is to go to law school, which I did briefly go to. Um, ah. But my heart wasn't there and you can't really go to law school and really not be, want to do it at all. And I just didn't want to do it. So I left after a semester, then continue to varied careers. Uh, I went into finance and that was like my main career out of, I guess, college for the most part and the brief tenure in law school. So I worked at uh, Bear Stearns, so big investment banking right. for three and a half years. And my soul was lost after that. <laughs> so, <laughs> soul was lost, but uh, it's hard to leave because it's good money, obviously, in that world. But I was still young enough, and I'm um, like, oh, music has always been my passion. I come from a very musical family. People are careers in music, and just wanted to kind of pursue that and see where that can take me. And end up going back to grad school, going to William Patterson, kind of laid the groundwork for everything, and just tried taking any jobs I can get, kind of in the industry. It wasn't easy to get stuff, but had to be persistent. And eventually got some full-time jobs and led me to APA eventually. So, so where did you internship? Intern? Uh, multiple interns. My main internship when I was at William Patterson was at Red Light Management and ATO Records. Um, that was great. Um, that was like right the genre music and everything that I love. Um, 
kind of like jam band slash indie hip indie type stuff. Um, so I was there for maybe I stayed till after my actual internship was over, but it's only so long you can work for free. So eventually I had to get out of that. And I interned at a music festival called all good music festival. I also interned briefly at Brooklyn bowl. Um, I do a lot of work with now love those guys. And then that was it for the internships. Then I did like odds and ends jobs on a concert company called rocks off cruises in the city. So I was just like a load in load out guy that pay me whatever hundred bucks to come roll gear onto a boat for four hours. Um, it was great. Met great people. Loved it. Uh, kind of further my interest and whet the appetite of live music. Um, just seeing it all get started from get, bring the gear in to watch the fans come in. And then my first real gig, I worked for a company called Effective Immediately PR in the city. Mm-hmm. It's like an all-purpose all PR artist development company. And I worked on the artist development side, anything mm-hmm. from arranging social media accounts to booking small tours at like small regional local venues, very young acts that just want to need some help. And then after that, for, after a year, I saw an opening at APA and uh, jumped at the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So what do you think they saw in you to uh, give you the chance? At APA? Yeah. Um, who knows? I mean, my probably persistence. Um, and they knew I must love everything about it. I mean, I ditched a career. I was, at this point, very old for someone starting off, really. Yeah. Um, it was to be an assistant. And I guess I was probably like 30, 32, maybe at the time, roughly, uh, which is very, very old. It's 10 years older. So most, most of my contemporaries were right out of college. So those are my new coworkers. So I was like the old man. I and mean, I was older than a lot of like the, older than a lot of the agents. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that that can help and that can hurt a lot of times they may not want. I mean, there's ageism everywhere. So even, uh, even not being old necessarily, but for, certain jobs they may not want someone that old mm-hmm. but uh, i think i just showed i can be successful in other aspects of careers so i think they knew i can actually do the work it's not rocket science being an assistant to an agent necessarily you just got to do the work and show you, you love music and that's right. where uh, kind of led me everywhere just persistence and love of everything so so it wasn't the mailroom fortunately i bypassed the mailroom I think that may have been one of the benefits of being older and having shown I've been able to work in professional settings outside of college. Uh, Mail room was probably not necessarily needed. So I got to bypass it. Very, very fortunate there because you can get stuck in the mail room for a while. And uh, it's it's interesting. The mail room scene still, because it still exists. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Adam, uh, I don't know if Dave knows this, Adam Kornfeld. Tells the story of how he got, um, actually, how he got, I guess, um, moved up at ICM, and that he used to deliver the mail around noonish, mm-hmm. and all the agents were out to lunch or whatever time it was, and all the agents were out. And nobody was answering the phone, so he would start answering the phone and just leave a message. Yeah. In other words, you know, call blah blah, called you back before cell phones. And then he would just say, Adam, you know, at the bottom. 
to find mm-hmm. me. And he said, who's this guy, Adam? That's Bob, Bob. And he got uh, promoted. <laughs> he just found that little niche. Yeah. And the other thing he did, he did his, if I remember correctly, because I was his teacher, he did, he did his resume white on black. Mm. So we got a call from ICM. They said specifically, now you're the Adam that has the, did your, did your resume white on black? And he said, yes. And so for some reason that stood out, you know, in this crazy business. Certainly Bears and Stern would have thrown it probably right in the garbage. Yeah, and that would now thrown there for a month. So going back a couple of things you were talking about, Brad. One, going back to the beginning, is you did mention the consolidation going on in the industry because we've had just even in the last year. So there's there are a big six agencies that are actually becoming five, but there was Paradigm and Wasserman bought Paradigm. And then now just recently, we're in the end of October and a month or so ago, maybe six weeks ago, it was announced that CAA is buying ICM. So we're going to have a big five and APA is is one of the big five, probably number four or number five of the big five, I would guess. Um, Just in terms of overall size, doesn't mean quality. Do you see additional consolidation happening over the next year, two, three years? Can you see like... I know it's total speculation and APA getting purchased by uh, WME, for example, for WME to answer what CAA is doing this off the cuff. What do you think? I mean, anything's possible Um, right now. I don't see this happening, Um, but it's anyone's guess. I mean, with all, all these companies, I mean, there's always so much movement right now and it's very in flux. Um, but as of right now, I mean, we're very stable. I don't see anything occurring anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, things are constantly changing. So from the record labels, from no longer the same big companies there were when I was at William Patterson. Every day we talk about the majors. Those aren't the same anymore. And so, um, yeah, it's all, all changes all the time. So, Well, it's because I'm thinking about that because when I was graduating William Patterson and I got in the business, there were the, it was the big six uh, labels. And I was with Polygram, which was sort of like an APA at the time of yeah. record labels. You know, we were number five of the six when I started. And we eventually grew because we bought Def Jam and then we bought Motown and then Universal ended up buying us. But that consolidation happened quite a bit. And now there's the big three on the recorded music side, but there's a really healthy independent side. A lot of artists now are, instead of trying to get signed to Warner or Sony, instead they're signing with an Empire or a Symphonic or United Masters, and they're becoming, they're staying independent. And I bring that up because in your world, we had a lot of independence spring up over the last year because we had COVID, there was no revenue coming in, a lot of people had to be let go. And so you have a Mint and you have a TBA and you still have a high road and you still have an AGI. So um, are you seeing a really healthy, just overall in the industry for agents, do you see a really healthy independent sector out there? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, that, that really has been the biggest, not necessarily like the bigger companies merging, it was the offshoots from the bigger companies. And I know like the biggest ones, probably Paradigm launched, like um, launched the Wassermans and Arrival Artists and Mint. Um, all these great um, little companies that are great agents, um, great rosters, uh, and they're continuing to grow and expand and 
soon enough, those could be the major, major agencies in it, down the road, but it's very healthy um, kind of sector growing out there. Uh, I know even from, from APA, there are numerous agencies that started that offshoots from APA um, that coworkers left and created their own agencies. So it's very healthy sector. Um, just bring different viewpoints with all these new agencies and new agents kind of having different um, kind of freedom in a way um, with their own companies. They can do focus more on what they want in a way than if they're working for other people. So. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Mint specifically, we had Isabel Brome, who's their head of marketing. We interviewed mm-hmm. last summer. And then uh, we have a student now interning over there. We had another who interned there recently. There was a guy I mentored who got a full-time job over there at Mint. And it's funny, I'm not trying to get you another job, but I look at the Mint roster and I look at your roster of artists and I'm like, oh, that's, you know, there's there's where Brad can go someday. Yeah. Tell us about um, your roster. Who do you have? How many total artists do you have? And we'll kind of get into what you need to do for them. Gotcha. My personal roster is very kind of small right now, actually. I'm in, I probably should have mentioned this earlier. Like my main role at APA in the last couple of years has been running the college booking department with a coworker of mine out in LA. So we have like a two team, um, two headed team that kind of heads up the uh, college booking and we handle all the artists um, for APA. So I kind of took a step back from my own roster. So I kind of scaled it down the last few years. Um, but my personal acts are the Expendables, who are a reggae rock act. Um, they're out on tour right now. They're actually be in Asbury Park next week. So I'll be going to their Jersey show at Stone Pony. And they're touring with the Mint agency band. Actually, it's band uh, Ballyhoo. So they're from Mint. And I have another act called Roots of Creation, another reggae rock jam band. Uh, they're from New Hampshire and I have an act from Philly called man about a horse, a very young emerging bluegrass band. So yeah, those are my three right now. Um, and I'm looking to add actively looking for some new acts now that kind of, uh, settled back in after the big, uh, COVID mess of the last year and things are settling down. Um, but yeah, I've been focusing a lot on the college roster of APA and things are going great on that end. And yeah, I'd love to bring some stuff to William Patterson. I haven't booked anything there yet. So we can talk about that. (laughs) So, um, so how, how, okay. So you're, you have been doing the college thing. Yes. You said college, (laughs) was it college in casinos or just colleges? Uh, Just just colleges. colleges. Yeah. We have a whole casinos, kind of like a affairs and casinos department as well. Yeah, that was my next thing. So somebody else or you have a couple people, two, three people who are doing the festivals. Is it festivals, fairs and casinos or is festivals different from fairs? We haven't broken out. A lot of times um, the way we have it, um, it's kind of we have some a few people focused on festivals and then we have someone focused on casinos and like um, fairs. Usually a lot of the casinos and fairs are lean, a little more adult contemporary a lot of times and some of the legacy acts. Um but there's so much crossover. So everyone works together. Um, so if you're working on casinos, you may be booking a major festival too and vice versa. Um, everyone's just in contact with each other from the departments. Um, so it kind of all blends together, but we do have specific people that work in those. Okay. And so now you've settled in doing the college thing that you can't expand your personal roster right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely looking at some stuff. So when you look as an agent, are you looking 
at one specific genre, like this is just the music I love. These are the people I love. This is the audience I know. Or are you thinking, you know, I need to be a little diverse because maybe I should get into, because you mentioned earlier, hip hop, you know, maybe I need hip hop or maybe I need more female or maybe I need, you know, to get sort of a, and then is there a certain number that's like a sweet spot? Because if these guys aren't out on the road and somebody else will be on the road, so you can always have that balance of people out there bringing in revenue for you. Kind of a two-parter question. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I have such a varied, varied genres, like everything. I, I love pretty much all types of music. So, I mean, I've had in the past very, I've had bands from, different like very varied i have some indie rock bands i have the bluegrass right now I'm a little more reggae type stuff i have um but it really depends on on the person there are definitely people that have their niche and if you can target on that it's great because uh, i think a lot of opportunities come that way because people may know you as oh you're the guy that books um books um some punk you're the guy that books reggae so you may have better opportunities within those genres the lansom acts um but it's good to be varied uh, i personally i think it's more interesting on a personal level um just keeps me more engaged i don't want to be pigeonholed necessarily in one necessary musical like space um i want to have different lanes i can go in um and yeah well, i'm trying to think well the other part of the question uh, the size of the roster mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's kind of like the question with any career or anything you like in a way it's like you if you want to like the long tail you want to have a expand as much as you can or you want to keep it very tight and focused um there are benefits to both things if you have a very small roster obviously you can focus on those acts a little more um but at the same time you're kind of you may be limiting yourself um so you may want to reach out having more acts i don't think it's ever necessarily a bad thing um, and when you have a team around you, you can bring other people in to help you out and kind of give the artist the best um, service you can. So, Talk about the team around you, because you've mentioned teamwork quite a bit for a whole different thing. So who are these members of the team? You know, what, what positions do they do day in and day out? And how are they assisting you and you're assisting them? Um, well, right now, everything... Still, everything's very weird. Uh, a lot of people, there's been so much has changed in the last year with like staffing and a lot of the same people are not there. Like I don't, most of us are not fully in the office. I've only been to the office a few times. So I don't even see most of my coworkers um, except from Zooms right now. And a lot of people that weren't there a year ago and may have stepped away or coming back. So it's a lot of stuff moving parts right now. Um, but yeah, in the New York office, we may have like a handful of agents right now and they're a bunch of assistants and everyone's working together. Um, we have meetings on Zoom, meetings in person when people are in the office. And then we have people in Nashville and LA and we all just work together. Um, like I said, I have my coworker who's my counterpart in colleges out on the West Coast. So we kind of split things up um, via regions. Um, I'll take the East half of the country. She takes the West half, but we always talk about the rosters and see how see how we can help each other out um so yeah i mean everyone is always trying to give advice and if you need to find out about certain venues on the west coast i'll call up my la office um because i don't know i'm not gonna know them nearly as much as i know the venues in new york and just talking to each other and learning about different 
agencies out there also and different management companies setting up meetings to help each other. Um, yeah, everyone's just always trying to work together to help. Let's talk about a band like The Expendables, who yeah. I think is very interesting because it's not that I'm more on the like Americana side and yep. they're sort of like the um, jam band meets sort of reggae type thing, I guess. Yeah, they're a little more, they're like reggae, almost like reggae punk. Reggae, reggae punk. Okay. So the, you know, is, we have access to so much music now that you can have people who own a genre who everybody else has never heard of, which doesn't make that good or bad. It's just kind of, that's how it is these days. So we yep. have Expendables. And I would say, who, who are they? You know, there's some yep. band, right? I never heard of them. But then you yep. look and they're, they've done really well. You know, they have a song that's streamed over 57 million times. They have half a million, I think it's uh, monthly listeners and almost 200,000 followers on just on Spotify alone. So there's, there's a fan base there. Talk about, they're not on the, let's say they're not on the road right now. And we, uh, and they did, we want them to go on the road. Who's approaching whom? Is it your manager? Is it somebody in the band? Talk about starting from zero and putting together a tour for a band like the Expendables. Cause one other caveat is, I find that more interesting than like an Ariana Grande or weekend tour, because like Marconi was saying, that's all live nation. And that's, you know, the big superstar stuff, but the people listening are going to be closer to an expendables than to ever be like the weekend, you know? So yeah. back, back to the expendables from zero. How does that tour begin? And we'll kind of dissect that. Yeah. Well, since I've been working with them for about three years or so, um, a year was pretty much lost last year. Um, but since I've worked with them, they've kind of had, they've usually had like their schedule. They always go on this big tour in the winter, winter slash spring. And that's like their main big tour of the year. And then we do some mini tours around it and we book a lot of festivals and a lot of like private events and stuff like that. But yeah, they usually get things going. I mean, it depends on management. We're always in talks, management and myself, um, just to see brainstorm, see what's going on. So we're always talking about tours and yeah, it's just, we're trying to find out dates. First you say when, when is the best for the band to tour? Cause I've always worked with bands that are pretty much road warriors, um, hundreds, hundred shows plus a year. Um, so yeah, just finding at the right time, all the guys in the band, pretty much most of them had recently had kids. So it, it brings another aspect in when you have young families. Um, so picking out a time period, seeing how long you want to go out on the road for, and then kind of pinpointing markets you want to hit and then kind of building a tour around that, making sure you're not driving 10 hours a night, um, which isn't feasible. Um, that's it's key. It's figuring out the routing, making sure everything is feasible and least amount of expenses possible for the band and it's the most amount of money they can make to try to make a profit and be successful. Okay. Um, at what point is a tour manager coming in and maybe helping with the routing or looking at it, or is the routing done all by you and your team does the manager help a little bit? Uh, who's checking whom to make sure, like you said, that we're not doing any of these 10 hour drives or anything that might be a little bit too much for the guys. Everyone is kind of doing it 
together. I, I mean, I would usually start everything, um, put a framework together of what I think would work best. And then what I think works best may end up being horrible in the eyes of the band or management. And there may be certain markets that they realize they hate playing and they had a bad experience in the past, a venue where maybe they got treated horribly by a production manager or the sound was a mess or there wasn't ample um, parking for their bus and they couldn't load their gear in properly. Most of that stuff, the agent probably won't remember from tours in the past if there was a bad load in, but the band is going to remember that. The, the tour manager is going to remember that and that can affect really them wanting to play that venue again. So all like kind of like the little, the agent kind of puts in the framework, I would say, and then management and the band members and tour manager all kind of look over everything the agent does. And then we all kind of like powwow and iron out the little details and then kind of solidify everything to make sure everyone's going to be happy in the end and try to make this successful tour. So when they're on the road, when these little things happen, when are you getting called and bitched at? Because exactly the, uh, there wasn't parking for the bus or this or that, you know, at what point um, are you getting, I'm just being negative for one sec. Are you getting yeah. blame, blame for that kind of thing when maybe that was actually the, the tour manager is the one who didn't know where to put the bus, you know, or something like that, or the mm. was crappy, even though you had nothing to do with booking the hotel, they still want to, you know, yell at you. Um, at what point are, are, and is it different with every band? You're the one, you know, getting grief or, and are you ever given kudos as well? Yeah. No, uh, I'm, saying, I'm speaking not about specific bands right now. Cause I don't want anyone to call me up yelling. Um, but no, it's usually the agent I feel like is going to get the, the blame right away. The instant first call um, it's something we will, if we sent something maybe going bad at a show, you're definitely going to be waiting for a call at uh, two in the morning or something about hearing it. Um, but you got to uh, press on and kind of things are going to come up at shows. Um, they're going to be issues many times and you just have to do the best you can to s smooth everything over. And the best, most important thing in a way is, Make sure everyone's happy there that night. Calm everyone down. Most stuff can be handled. A lot of it can be handled after the fact. So you just want to make people happy on site. And then if there's more issues, you got to fight for after. If it's not that immediate, you need to be done right then. You just think it's sometimes it's best to uh, deal with it the next day if it's possible. If you don't need to deal with it right that second, um, you just want to calm everyone down, make the band happy. Just need to make the band happy. That's the most important thing when they're on the road. Um, they're already dealing with so much and a lot of stress just touring. Um, want to make everything as smooth as possible for them on show date, make sure they can give their best show, have the fans treated nicely. They treat the, everyone, just feel good about everything. And then we do our best to make sure that happens. So, so what much? do you uh, okay. you get any more of um bands that or the manager that wants to play a 3000 seat room and you're convinced that they should pay a play a thousand seat room or secondly or you have you booked a thousand seat room and i'm a believer that it should be 
sold out. I'd rather have a 1,000 seat room sold out than 3,000 seat half empty. But the record starts to get a lot of legs. And you know, by the end of this little tour, they should have been playing 3,000 seat rooms and not mm -hmm. the 1,000 seat rooms that you won the battle with. Yeah. Um, I've not had any acts personally that have had to deal with that yet. Um, but that is a, that is a thing. I mean, that's, um, there are a lot of things when you're working on a tour in advance, you have to kind of project, um, what you think is going to happen. Um, but, and usually you, you want to sell rooms out. We don't want to book mm -hmm. bands and rooms that it's going to be half empty. Um, and the, the venue usually, I mean, the promoter's not going to want that either. I mean, you have to, these rooms have to be filled usually to make money. Um, so smaller, I, I, we always try to push smaller and sell it out first. And the next time around, we'll move up to the bigger room. We can, a lot of these venues and promoters have bigger rooms too. So if they sell a room out, well, if it's available, we can just always move on to the next room for that tour and just change the venue. Um, but yeah, we don't want to book a band that could sell a thousand tickets in a 3000 seat room, even if they end up selling them out and being right. It's just too risky in a way. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to play to an empty house really ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Many times they can be insistent though. Yeah. That they're ready now for the whatever. Yep. I mean, you you got to tread lightly and give your feedback and be honest, but also make them feel like they are ready. Um, but you gotta, you gotta speak, um, gotta be sensitive to the artists and their vision and, but also make sure it's going to make sense. You don't want, you don't want to get in a hole with the promoter and ruin a shot of playing a venue again. And you, you want everything to start off slow in a way, unless you have like, if you're dealing with a band that honestly has a, comes out of nowhere or like a little Nas X or something a couple of years ago and just comes out of nowhere and it's not the biggest act and, yeah, obviously things change quickly, but yeah, usually that's not the case. Yeah. Well, I always used to teach that uh, one of the attributes of an agent is to know the value of the artist in the marketplace today and also six months, one year, two years from now. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to project, just as you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all very important. And that long, same thing with like, when you're figuring out the deals and ticket pricing and if they're ready to charge more, charging yeah. a couple couple dollars more could mean depending on your fan base. If you mm -hmm. have a, a young fan base that may not have as much income just to blow on tickets, you got to keep those tickets low and going up $2 could be the difference in them buying a ticket and saying they can't afford it right now. But mm -hmm. that extra $2 is going to go a long way towards creating extra money on the back end for the band. So it's a fine line and you just have to right. kind of know, know the act and figure out what's going to work best for them and the fans and promoter. So who sets the price of a ticket? Um, you work together with the promoter. I mean, the band, usually the band and is the one or the agent, the, the band team are the ones that kind of like, will go to the promoter saying, this is the, can we, we want to, we're going on tour. We're setting tickets at this price and let us know what you can do. Just send us offers and uh, we'll build the tour out. 
build the show. The promoter or whoever you're working with to book the show may want to raise the ticket price, lower it a little bit, and work with them. Uh, you usually have a baseline ticket price, and you yeah you work with the promoter and the band to finalize it, and then go from there. And each market's going to be different. Oftentimes, um, some bands are going to be a lot stronger in home markets or other markets so the prices may be higher somewhere um, mm-hmm. but yeah so yeah you got to work with the promoters really to iron it out but the band is the one that's gonna bring the bring the price to the promoter now do you uh with the bands that you handle the size of the bands you handle in terms of uh, market values are they mostly ga general admission uh yeah scaling the house most of the most of the stuff i've worked with um is ga uh-huh. yeah mm-hmm. but yeah um definitely the bigger tours i've never really worked on like a huge like arena tour like myself i've assisted with stuff but yeah that's gonna be a whole other ballpark um lots of you can have 20 different ticket prices and mm-hmm. scaling and yeah it definitely gets a little more complicated now we had um what's his face sean uh striegel striegel who believed in Groupon from the very first day. Yep. Not, not the end of it when they're not selling and then you throw them on Groupon. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you used those types of uh, discount sites? Uh, yeah. Uh, Groupon's, uh, I mean, the, the promoters are usually the ones that bring those up. Um, so they'll have it in their ticket scaling. Like I don't, I've never for like a band saying we want Groupon necessarily. It's usually like promoters will have that in there and it's, it's just we agree to it uh, but yeah it's definitely a thing it's not as prevalent anymore i feel like i don't see as many offers yeah i uh, haven't either but yeah it's definitely still around mm-hmm. but there are other i mean there's so many other different aspects of ticketing there are companies called like it's the first time i've used it um this company light it's like a pre-sale ticket company mm-hmm. i'm still learning it uh yeah like artists are given the option to buy tickets for a certain market of a tour before it's announced. Uh, not artists, I'm sorry, the fans. The artists will give like a, a brief outline of a tour and list all the markets on the tour and shoot it out to the fans saying, oh, we have a tour in the future. We're going to be playing these cities. You can buy your ticket now. Um, no info, really. Then when we announce the tour, you have first rights um, to these tickets. And if you don't want them, you don't have to buy them right now or you'll get your money back. I'm not sure if you have to pay in advance. Um, you're not obligated though, but you have first right to them. So it's kind of like a mailing list in a way, or it's like a pre sign up thing. So. Yeah. That's yeah. like L Y T E for L Y T E. Yep. Yeah. Interesting company has been doing that a lot more. And uh, I think post COVID let's see where they go. Cause they're really getting fairly active and that's interesting. Yep. Let's talk about, um, you first signed a band, like breaking, we'll call it a baby band. Yeah. What are some of the things, what are some of the types of rooms? Are you right away trying to get them to just play colleges? Are you trying to get them to play, to open up for other groups? Are you networking with other agents within APA, outside of APA? How are you trying to break a baby band? And you and the manager, are you talking Three years, do you have like a five-year plan? Talk about kind of how you're doing that and what you're thinking. Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to lay out a plan for the next, I would say, minimum three years or so, just to like kind of get get going. Um, 
And then in most cases, it's going to depend on the act um, and the genre, I think. But finding a solid support tour is always kind of like the first thing that a lot of these baby bands are going to benefit from. Um, just getting them out on the road to a room of fans that like music like theirs, but may not know them yet, uh, kind of just bring, bring them exposure. And that kind of just helps build the fan base up. So focusing on finding a support tour and then building out your strong markets, I would say just keep building your, your region. Um, if you're playing a small, selling out small venues in New York, Boston, or the Northeast, kind of continuing build that fan base up and then work from there, kind of start, start in the, the core and expand from there, get those support tours. And usually some festivals will follow. Um, yeah. We always want to get these, the baby bands, they always want to, one of the first things, almost every act when they sign is like, when are we getting on these festivals? Everyone wants the festivals. Everyone's college shows. Um, a lot of exposure with those type things. Always good, good paydays. And they're not always the easiest things to get right away. Um, so you want to set expectations and make sure you're not promising all these things you can't deliver on. Um, but you want to do your best and take the little victories and build these tours, get these festivals. And a year later, when they're starting to build the, start playing these bigger venues and fans are starting to show up to these tours that maybe you weren't expecting. They can't, they learn from the band from the support slot and then the bigger festivals will follow. And then you just see where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. And then talk about getting the support tour because you have a baby band who wants to get on a show uh, tour, even if it's eight dates or 10 dates with a bigger band, yet the bigger band would love to be, to, to get as an opening band who's going to help sell more tickets. So how do, how do you work that methodology, I guess, of convincing the agent for the uh, headliner that this band can help you, even though they're an entry-level band who probably isn't going to account for a whole lot of tickets in a lot of markets outside of that band's home market? Are you doing mixing and mat a lot of trading? Are you, you know, faith-based things talk about kind of what you're thinking there and how you work that out yeah i mean it, it can depend on the tour i mean some tours they need support to help bring people um some tours and maybe a tour that's sold out already and they know it's going to sell out and they just want to bring a band that can fill some time get people to loosen up get some drinks and get ready for the show and a band that they may just be into and have, have want to, want to help them. So it really varies. I feel like the kind of like the two things, do you need the band to bring people or do you not need the brand to bring people? And the, the best way for like good support acts, I mean, working within your agency, that's always a huge thing. I mean, if you, we have so many tours going out and with the bigger acts will, the agents within our company will add uh, one of the smaller baby bands on that tour. Um, we'll work together and we'll try to get, keep it within, within house just makes it help each other out and makes it easier in the long run. Um, just everyone works together on it. And then also with the management companies, if you imagine most management companies, it depends. Most, some management companies like to stick solely with like one 
may have most of their acts at one agency, a lot of them spread them out. So if you're working with a management company that has bands at other agencies, um, a lot of times there's um, info can come into you, more acts come, come into you and you kind of work together with them, with the management to help find the proper support act or headlining act to go out with. Um, so yeah, you keep, keep your, keep your contacts close to you and um, you always want to network and that helps with the, the support tours and all that. I have a uh, scenario, true scenario that I don't know if you've ever come in contact with this. Uh, in the nineties, 38 special was on tour. I knew the, the manager pretty well. 38 special was on tour and their opening act was Bon Jovi. Mm -hmm. And it was slippery when wet. That, that album. Well, the hall would empty at intermission. And nobody was there to watch 38 Special. Yep. So now what are you going to do? I feel like I, I heard a story. I found another act recently that happened to, uh, or that the support act became the headliner. It was probably like a Billie Eilish type thing. Not heard necessarily, yeah. but something like that. Right. Um, uh, uh, you're as a headliner, as a support act, you're saying. You're the headliner's agent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just try to keep things, I don't know, try to just keep the tour going, uh, I guess. I, I mean, I, it's a tricky one. And they're probably going to, the, the support act's probably going to try to get more money, first of all. I was just going to say, now you're the agent for Bon Jovi. Yeah. What do you renegotiate? Yeah, the support act's probably going to try to get something extra out of that but i mean in theory you're, you're stuck you're you worked at a deal but um everything's open to conversation and reworking stuff if you see that happening um i mean definitely if you're the headlining act you're not going to be too thrilled to play to an empty venue obviously um but it's an interesting situation yeah yeah i was uh the band i was with was a great a great live act and a couple of times we were fired uh, for being too good. Mm -hmm. That wasn't that you, you played two minutes too long. You took five minutes longer to get on, you know, whatever the headline yeah. I wanted to say. And that was it. Yeah. But in this case, um, you know, with Bon Jovi exploding the way he did, is your so you get another opening act. You pay him out. Mm -hmm. I am out. Yeah. And now the next... <laughs> The next venue only got half yep. full anyway. Very, very difficult question. I mean, do what, what happened? Do you know what happened with that tour? Or? No, I was never privy of what actually uh, they settled. Um, but they did continue to open, open for them. Yeah, I mean, you definitely you hear that. I mean, the headliner doesn't want to get showed up. I mean, I can't imagine like if anyone opened for like James Brown or something, like he would yeah. not have that. <laughs> he would, someone tried to show him up. I mean, they'd be tossed instantly, but. All right. You know. All right. Well, we have about one minute left, Brad. I so one more question too. Oh, I can get answer it. I can ask. I, I guess ask your, I won't ask my, we have one minute left. So then. Well, you, I'll give mine. It'll be question. 20 seconds. Do you guys take, uh, as a rule, you take commission on the merch sales as well as the tickets? um it's gonna vary i think but i've never 
taken off merch stuff. Uh, I'm sure it's a case by case basis, but in general, it's not that common. Um, I'm just saying because it is in the con, you know, in the in the contract, whether it's eighty twenty or whatever it is. I mean, it's mm -hmm. stated in the contract that you guys are. Oh, with that, that if it's in the con, that's for the just for the band though. It's like yeah. we always have. Yeah, that's not like a contract for between like for a show contract you mean or yeah it's a show contract and the um it's a venue will take 20 or whatever that's merch split will be 80 20 let's say yeah but that, that's not yeah. with the agency involved that's just for the to make sure the band when they settle they make sure like at the end of the night the tour manager is getting their 80 percent. so i hope so yeah <laughs> yes, yes uh, dave Re real quick final thing for those listening who want to be you who want to get break into the agency world, what are your two or three real quick uh, suggestions, ideas to, to break in from, if, especially if you're in college now? Um, if you're in college, I mean, I wish I did this. Just I was not really involved with any of the, like, the student organizations, but definitely that's the main thing in college. I would say if you think you want to do this, join the, the booking board or the student organization that does all the entertainment because even cause I'm working with a lot of students and if one hits me up saying, can I get an internship? I will do, and I had a good relationship with them. I will do everything I can to help you out and get you with my company. Um, that's the main thing when you're in college, if you know you want to do it, already build those relationships. Um, that's the most important thing. I'm sure it's been talking about many times on other podcasts, the music industry. It's all about who you know and keeping keeping in touch with people and being cordial, not pissing anyone off too much. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the biggest thing for college students, I would say. Get into it now. Start early. I wish I did. It would have been a lot easier journey. Um, and don't be afraid to contact people. You can, you can stay persistent, but not annoy people too much. And trying to take any position you can, you're not going to jump out of the gates and make a lot of money and become a you're gonna have to start as an assistant most most careers in the music industry you're not gonna be a superstar right away uh, so be patient and reach out to people don't be afraid to ask for help and just be nice to people that's pretty much it that's great well brad you've been very nice to us on this there we, we've heard of your horrible terrible temper and you weren't like that with us at all <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on here. Next time, maybe I'll be a little more angry. But <laughs> that's right. Yes, yes. But, yeah. so, so, Brad, at the end of every show, do you know what we say? I do not. Let's, let's hear it, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't say hello, because at the end of every show, we say, Adios! So, Brad, say adios really loud. Adios! That's not very loud, but okay. Adios!
try not to revive. 